0: You are listening to a sermon podcast from Kingdom City. We pray that over the next few moments, you will be blessed, equipped, and empowered to bring the reality of God to your world.
1: I just want to talk about uh, what I talked about last time, just a quick summary, because this message is really just part two of what I spoke, and so if you are interested, you can go on our YouTube channel and watch part one. I think it was two weeks ago we did it called Unleashing the War Crime. We talked about Revelations 12:12, how the devil has come down to earth and he is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. He is unleashing like he's never done before because he knows time is getting short for him. He's unleashing on you, on your city, on your country, on your family. He's just doing everything he can because he knows his time is short. And we talked about Ephesians 6.10 and how we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You know, we do not wrestle against our mother-in-law our boss, our pastor, our connect leader, you know, our friend, we don't wrestle against that. We wrestle against uh, principalities, against powers and against spiritual hosts of wickedness. And we talked about how we wrestle the principality, we bind the power and we cast out the wicked spirits. So today I wanna talk about unleashing the war cry, but I'm gonna focus on the dress code, the dress code. Because you don't go into battle, you don't fight a war without the right uniform on. Could you imagine turning up to a battle in black tie? It just wouldn't work, you know? You would get crushed no matter how muscly you are or how fit you are. You would not have anything to protect you when you were in your black suit. You know, and um, these days, with what the enemy is doing, we've gotta have the right dress code to survive. We have got to make sure that to survive the upcoming days, we are putting on the right things on us. And Paul tells us how to do this. In Ephesians 6:14, carrying on from the verse, he says, "Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace." In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. So Paul's telling us to stand firm because you can stand but not be firm. You can be shaky. You can be moving around, you could be lost, but he's saying, stand firm. And then he tells us how we are to stand in the spirit because remember, we are not fighting flesh and blood. And because we are in a war, he used an analogy of a soldier. Now, when he was writing this, he was in prison with Roman guards. I could imagine him staring at the Roman guards all day and the Holy Spirit beginning to whisper to him about the guards' uniforms and how it related to the spirit. And I believe that's how he came up with this analogy that if you study the Roman soldiers, they were the best army at the time the most successful, they ran the world at the time. Their uniform was the most advanced at the time. Their armor was the most advanced. And so um, as he began to look into what they wore and then match it with the spirit, we get a picture of how we're supposed to dress in the spirit, how we're to do it. And the order of which he gave the description is the order in which they put it on. The order is significant. I'm gonna ask the guy that was a chicken before to come up and become a Roman soldier. This is Jackson. Jackson is single. And uh, he's our resident actor. We need somebody. Late last night I'm like, who can be a Roman soldier? We're all just, I said Jackson. Little did I know they were also using him to be the chicken, but anyway. He's gonna help me because what we're gonna do is we're going to, uh, look at the armor of the Roman soldiers. We're gonna, I'm gonna give you some information about this historically, what the things were that they wore and why. And then we're gonna see how this relates in the spirit. So the first thing that Paul says is the belt, right? the belt. He says that's the first thing. That's the first thing that the Roman soldiers would put on after their tunic. The first piece of armor would be their belt. And they would wear this all the time. Even when they were off duty and they took all their other stuff off when they were relaxing, they always wore their belt. Did you know that only soldiers could wear this style of belt? Now, this is not accurate, uh, because we couldn't find a Roman belt. If you have one, I'd love to use it for the 5 PM. So just let me know after. Um- but the, the belt they had had these strips coming down from them that would cover and protect from the waist to the knees, so cover all those vulnerable parts. And then, of course, there was a place to put your sword as well. And there was decorations that they would put on their belt um, to just show all their victories and, and um, if they were a general or something like that. Now, the belt kept the tunic in place so that when he, the soldier was fighting the tunic wouldn't get in the way. It held the sword secure and it also um, kept the breastplate tight, which he will put on in a minute uh, as well. So if he didn't have the belt, okay, if he didn't have the belt, then his um, breastplate wouldn't be secure. His tunic would trip him up and his sword would drop to the ground. So the belt was the foundation of the armor. Paul is saying we have to wear the belt of truth. We have to put on the belt of truth first as a Christian. That has to be our backbone. That has to be the foundation of our Christian life. Truth holds all our armor together. It's no point having all these fancy weapons when you don't have truth fancy weapons in it. You can raise the dead. You can do healing. You can do this and that. But if you don't have truth as your first foundation for your life, you can easily go astray. Jesus says in John 8, know the truth and the truth will set you free. He said, know the truth. How do you know the truth? Then he talks about how you need to know his teachings. We need to know the teachings of Jesus. We don't just need to come on a Sunday and hear it. We need to study it through the week. We need to look at the context and what it means and really understand what Jesus is teaching about that will help us keep the belt of truth on. Don't do life without the belt of truth or you will be a wishy-washy Christian. Life will be up and life will be down. You'll be depressed and then you'll be joyful. Read His Word. Study and meditate it and understand it. There's so many good resources online, commentaries. Read the commentaries about the verse. It will take you deeper because sometimes our understanding of the verse, we take it out of context. My goodness, the amount of people that have quoted scripture to me, I'm like, you don't even have a clue where that scripture fits in the whole entire. You don't even understand original meanings. And so by reading this, you're understanding really the meaning behind it because the world's becoming more and more gray and it's infiltrating the church, our lives, our mindsets. We need to know the truth. Don't just be a Sunday person that eats truth once a week. Got to eat it every day. You know Judas, right? He was a disciple of Jesus. He was around Jesus. He saw the miracles that Jesus did. I mean, he was with Jesus physically. What we wouldn't do to be in Judas's place. He ends up betraying Jesus. Do you know what I think the first thing he let down was the belt of truth? He allowed lies to come into him. Lies about Jesus. Who is Jesus to dump a whole bunch of perfume on a woman, like Jesus, come on, like he allowed the belt of truth to come off him, which led him eventually to um, betraying our Lord, the second thing the Roman soldier would put on is the breastplate, okay, so this breastplate would cover the front and the back and it protected the heart and vital organs. It was described as a heart guard. It was made with a combination of soft metal, steel and bronze. And it had leather straps that gave it flexibility so that when he used his shield and sword, it wouldn't get in the way, but it would protect his heart and all the other organs in there. Paul is telling us we need to put the breastplate of righteousness on. Righteousness means right standing with God. It means I can stand before God and he can look at me because I have no sin. Sin separates us from God. So when sin or flesh remain in us, the breastplate is weakened and the enemy can come in. So, we must be careful that our activities, our hobbies, our social hang times, our after work drinks, our late night Netflix are not a reason to put the breastplate down. We need to keep our guard up. We need to protect our heart. We need to be careful who we listen to, conversations that we have. Disunity, lies, and gossip can all affect our breastplate of righteousness. And this breastplate had a combination of three layers for protection. What are your protection layers? How many layers do you have to protect your heart? It had multiple layers, so if it came through at one, it, um, it had to get through the other two layers to affect the heart. Matthew 5, 15, 19, Jesus says, "'For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, "'sexual immorality, and theft.'" He's saying that comes out of the heart. Therefore, we need to do everything we can to protect our heart. It's the most valuable organ that we have. It's the most crucial. Without it, we die. You know, you can get your hand cut off, your leg cut off, your appendix removed, your gallbladder removed, but you cannot get your heart removed. If you do get your heart removed, you have to get it replaced with someone else's heart to be able to survive. Because you cannot live without a heart. You can live with other, without other things, but not your heart. So it's so important that we are daily putting on the breastplate of righteousness. King David got his breastplate of righteousness a little weakened. He ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time. Probably took his breastplate of righteousness off. And he ended up sinning. He ended up murdering having an affair, and doing a whole bunch of other stuff that we would be horrified about today if someone did that. And when the response came back of, hey, David, look what you did. You did this. He was uh, held accountable for it. He went back to getting in right standing with God. He immediately went back and put his, oh, created me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me, God. He put his breastplate of righteousness back on. He went back to protecting his heart. We need to confess and repent of any sins in our heart daily and ask him to clean us. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us if there's anywhere or anything we have let our guard down and weaken the breastplate of righteousness. God, clean me. Help me, show me, have I, have I got a weak breastplate or have I taken it off without me knowing? The next thing they, um, the soldier would do is he would put on his shoes. Now these shoes, right, they, are, they were super comfortable and they were open and airy. So Roman soldiers could wear them for long periods of time and you wouldn't get blisters with them. So that's why a lot of their battles, uh, they um, say a lot of the success also was because of their shoes, because they weren't hurting a lot of uh, other types of armor for um, the enemies back then, their shoes were weak, but not the Roman soldiers. They had good, strong leather shoes. They also had studs. At the bottom of their shoes, these pointy metal studs, these studs help them stand on firm ground. So if they're climbing up hills, terrain, rocky ground, they they could dig in and, and not move, they wouldn't slip. And it also helped them, the enemy on the head. So it was also used as a weapon. So it didn't only just take them places. It also um, was used to uh, go against the enemy. Paul talks about shoes with the gospel of peace. Or, you know, if you translate that, it means good news or salvation. And just like the shoes, the gospel should be super functional in our life. It should be able to be done in our life. And shoes... um, we're not only there to stand firm, but also to attack. So when you take the gospel of Jesus out and you share it with people, you are actually attacking the enemy you are also taking away from his team, taking away from his property, returning back what was God. So we need to go out and we need to walk and we need to share with those that don't know the Lord. It is our responsibility to do that because as we do that, we are opposing the enemy. It's not just defense, but we are opposing it as well. It's part of putting on the full armor of God. It's part of being a part of the army. It's not left to the pastors or the evangelists. It's for all of us. It is all our responsibility and to carry peace. To carry peace in every room, in your office, in your family. It's peace, you know. Sometimes we go to these family gatherings and oh my gosh, peace runs out the window. And I have to consciously go, no, 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 peace, come back, peace, come back. I'm going to put on the shoes of peace. I'm not going to react. I'm going to put on the shoes of peace. And so it's not only just sharing the gospel but also having peace and peace that surpasses all understanding as well I was watching Billy Graham a movie yesterday with my sons and I was really taken back at how when he had an encounter with the Lord uh, he went to Bible college and he was learning about evangelism and evangelist and he was so curious about evangelist and he was pursuing that and he was studying that and he just really had such a heart for the one they show in the movie him witnessing to this guy on the side of the road he just showed the gospel with him and this guy fell into his arms and started crying Billy Graham was really a man that really wore his shoes of the gospel of peace everywhere he went he went into president's offices and he went into stadiums he went into houses he went into streets and he took those shoes everywhere they believe that Billy Graham was the uh, spoke to the most crowds historically uh, about salvation they think the more the most salvations came under Billy Graham's ministry. I think he spoke to over 2 billion people worldwide over his, his lifetime. And then of course the salvations, I think it was in the millions of him. And many of you may be here because your family got saved through him. So he understood that. If only we had a whole army that understood that. That is our responsibility to share Christ with everyone's, not just Billy Graham. So we need to remind ourselves, we need to stand on the solid rock of our salvation and ask the Lord to bring someone across our path to share the good news. The next thing was the shield. Is this right? Wow, look at that. That's an upgrade. So The Romans, when they had their shield, it was three feet long and uh, three, sorry, 3.5 feet long and three feet wide. And it was a rectangular and it was also curved. And the reason why it was curved was when the enemy would send arrows or fighting things, it would deflect easily off them. If it was straight and it came on, it would impact the soldier more. So the way it was designed protected the soldier from incoming arrows. Um, It was mainly used to protect. However, it did have this metal iron knob in the middle, which they called boss. (laughs) Yes. I thought that was funny. And uh, what this would do would be used to uh, crush the enemy. So if that knob came at you at a hard you know, uh, speed, you could crush your enemy's face with that. So it was in the middle, um, it was made of iron and bronze and it could be used against the enemy. So this was also, when the soldiers all had these shields and they were together, and they banded together, it was harder to get in. Because the way they put the shields together and they bent down, it was harder for the enemy to infiltrate when there was more of them. The shield is the first piece of armor that you have to pick up. The others you wore. But this you had to make a decision to pick. Up and you had to, we have to hold on to faith to be protected. The shield of faith is something you have to hold on to, you cannot let it go. The size of your faith or the size of your shield determines the size of protection from the enemy. You got small faith, you're not protected much, you got big faith. You are protected. Faith doesn't just shield you. It attacks the enemy as well, right in his face. You that, you, that boss knob, you are like, hey, my city will be saved in Jesus' name. Hey, the history of my country is gonna change in Jesus' name. I choose to hold on to my faith despite. Weak in faith, weaken protection. There's no offense to the enemy. And you cannot do life without faith in our God. And what materials do we have as shields? Because we can have these fancy looking amazing shields that are made of plastic and paper or like this, stickers. (laughs) But if Jackson was to really come up against a Roman soldier, this wouldn't protect him at all. It looks great. Sometimes we look good. Sometimes we talk the talk. Sometimes we act like we, we know what we're doing. But then when crisis comes, How big is your faith? How big is your shield? Do you really believe the miracles of God? Do you really believe He is with you when you've given all to miracle offering and your business goes bankrupt? Like, do you really believe what God has in store for you? Unbelief can attack our shield of faith like that. You start listening to unbelief, the shield starts to get dropped because unbelief comes in and goes, nah. Just, you know, in reality, you know, are you sure, huh? You're being so passionate about, you know, God. You don't have to be that way. You know, you don't have to believe those things. And then we begin to believe that our shield of faith begins to drop. You know, my father-in-law last year uh, got cancer. And I remember at that moment that we were told that we as a family just put our shields together, and we stood on faith, and we said, we believe in the God of miracles. Yes, the doctor's report says this, but you are gonna be healed in Jesus' name. We didn't allow negativity to be spoken, we didn't listen to negative reports, we understood what the doctor said, we did what the doctor said, but we still believed he would be saved. We did communion, we declared, we prayed, we spoke in tongues, we fought in the spirit with our shield of faith. It was a long road, And it was hard, but he is alive. Thank you, Jesus, cancer free. And even when we had some nice people say things to us, well, not to my face because they'd be too scared, I think. They did say things like, ah, you need to face up to reality. I was like, reality? Yeah, we don't face reality, we face a God who supersedes reality. He is the God of miracles and you can say what you want, but I believe in the faith of my God that he will protect, he will heal, he will save in Jesus' name, amen. We've gotta declare, we gotta put on the shield of faith every day to stop the arrows of the enemy. Ask the Lord to grow your capacity for more faith, to make your shield a stronger armor, sh- stronger shield. We also have to put on the helmet. A helmet, the, oh, came off. This had like a, was this, did you use this for the chicken thing? <laughs> the helmet, just joking. Poor Jackson, let's give Jackson a hand, he's doing so well. Yeah, okay, so the Roman soldier would put a helmet on that would protect his neck, his head, and his side of his face and in between his, nears, some, uh, uh, in between his eyes. They also had a crest on them um, to identify who was in charge in a battle because sometimes you couldn't tell who was in charge but you could look at the head and, and know. The helmet of salvation, which is what Paul's telling us to put on, is wearing a, a protection over our mind. Because the enemy will sow lies and doubt in our mind and get us to question our salvation. The road, that once you start questioning your salvation, you're down the wrong road. Once you start questioning the word of God, you are going down a path that is very hard to come back to. And what he does is he tries to convince us to take the helmet off so that he can put his little arrows, his darts in our mind and we begin to question. It's so important we protect our mind so important the enemy can't steal your salvation but he can fill your head so much with overthinking that you begin to question things you begin to question your salvation you begin to question what you believe or what you've been taught and then you let him brutally attack you sometimes you hear people say things you're like what we grew up together we we, we grew up together in the church and now you're deciding that it's all lies like how did that happen The helmet of salvation. The mind wasn't protected. They weren't careful with the teaching that they let themselves listen to. The discussions that they had where the enemy strategically might have placed people in their lives to just whisper little doubt. Oh, oh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe God isn't real. Maybe it is all a lie. There's a guy named Chuck Templeton. And he was the upcoming biggest evangelist in the 1940s. In fact, he was Billy Graham's mentor. He would talk in stadiums all over the world. And everyone believed that he was the next, he was the Chuck. There was, would have probably have not been a Billy Graham if it wasn't Chuck. Chuck was like the guy. And Billy Graham used to travel with him as he would speak. In about 1940s, 45, he started questioning God. He saw what had happened in the World War uh, in the war and he started questioning how could God have done that then he started questioning is God real? Then he decided that Jesus was not the son of God But he was just a nice human in 1957 he publicly got up and declared he was an agnostic and later he became an atheist and wrote um, a book called farewell to God He shook Billy Graham to the core See, Billy Graham loved this guy, looked up to this guy. This guy was ahead of him. And when he started questioning, he actually said to Billy Graham, get with the times. The Bible is not relevant. And Billy Graham actually had to go to God and have an encounter with God in the mountains. He got down on his knees, opened up his Bible, and said, God, you need to speak to me. Because he was so confused himself. I think at that moment, if we could have seen what was going on in the spiritual world, it would have been the devil's trying to take his helmet of salvation off, right? Like just trying to pull it off. And, and so what did Billy do? He went to the Word of God. He said, Come on, you got to speak to me, God. You got to tell me, is this a lie? What am I doing, God? And God spoke to him in that moment, and he stood up from that encounter, and he never wavered again. And because of that, millions of people got saved. It is so scary. The helmet of salvation can attack anyone, anyone in any position. We got to take captive. Um, take every thought captive to obedience to Christ and put on the helmet of salvation, reminding us that because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, death cannot defeat us, that we are a child of God. We are not lost, we are not forgotten, we are not nobodies, we are a child of God. The last one, the last piece of weapon that the Roman soldiers picked up was the sword. My favorite. This sword was short, it was like 18 to 24 inches long. It was actually quite light, so it was flexible, but it was double edged. So it means both sides were very, very sharp. So it could be used at close range really quick to just thrust and slice, thrust and slice. And it was very, very um, uh, like dangerous for those people that came near it. And what I um, found significant about the sword, was that the sword was always used with the shield. So when the Roman soldiers would go and attack, they would thrust the shield first to hit the uh, enemy and then they would push their sword towards the enemy. So it goes shield, sword, shield, sword, shield, sword. Paul talks about the sword being the sword of the spirit. The only piece of armor that is purely designed to attack the enemy. All the rest of the armor is defense. But the sword of the spirit is a deadly weapon that we can use. It is the word of God by declaring scriptures over us, our city, our country, our family. The enemy has to shrink back. He makes, it makes the most impossible situations become possible the word of God, the promises of Jesus, and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit all combined into one weapon against the enemy. It doesn't matter how big the enemy or what you're facing. It will have to bow. It will get attacked and it will hurt with the weapon. Salvation of your family. No, as for me and my house, we will be saved. Sickness. No, by his stripes, we are healed. Fear. No, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And Jesus promises us all authority given to us that we will trample the enemy. Luke 10 18 says, he replied, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. The Holy Spirit can guide you in how to use your sword. You need to sharpen your sword daily so your prayers and declarations are on point. It is no point using the sword if you're not protected. You need to get protected and then use the sword. We need to declare the word of God, promises of Jesus, and that miracles will come to pass. We need to speak life and vision um, over us as we use our sword to slice with the power of the Holy Spirit any attacks of the enemy. This is when you get your breakthrough. But breakthrough doesn't happen until you're all dressed up. Then take your weapon. If you take this first and take on the devils, you'll get beaten up. You have no protection at all anywhere. No protection here, no protection on your head, no protection in your heart. Of course, some people that have tried to take on the enemy and haven't dressed up, haven't got their breakthrough and have had a backlash and then don't believe the power of God. And the reason is, is because they're not dressed up in what, the armor to protect them. You want to pray for your breakthrough? Get dressed properly, get the dress code, dress properly, then use the sword of the Spirit. Then attack, then declare, then speak, then ask for what you want. There was a guy named Reese Howell. He was born in the 1930s. I'll take that. (laughs) He was born in the 19... Sorry, he wasn't born in the 1930s. He was alive in the 1930s. He was born in the late 1800s. And he, um, in the 1930s, woke up in the night and felt this incredible burden to pray beyond his church. To pray for world evangelism and to pray against evil that was coming into the earth. He just had this thing. So he started to pray. He started to bring the sword of the spirit to, to this feeling, to this, um, sense that he was getting. And the Holy Spirit was leading him and directing him in really, uh, scary prayers, um, that he had no idea what was going on, but he was speaking, he was fighting in the spirit, something that was going to happen to the world. In the 19, in 1940s, of course, Great Britain entered into the war with the Germans. And when that happened, Rees was running a Bible college called the Bible College of Wales. He gathered his 100 students, and every day from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m., when was about the time when the Germans would fly into Great Britain to bomb, he would pray, they would pray, they would fight in the spirit. They didn't have nuclear bombs or guns or or anything, but they had the sword of the spirit and they interceded night after night. In fact, Reese refused to have a bunker in, in the Bible college. They, he wouldn't go down to the bunker and they wouldn't even have gas masks, which everyone was supposed to have in those days when they heard the sirens. When he heard the sirens, they just prayed. And he said that the Holy Spirit told him they would not be touched and they never were touched. It was never bombed. They were never hurt. The property was protected. But what's interesting about this is that the Germans had such a great big uh, air force that it was four to one. For every four fighter jets that the Germans had, Great Britain only had one. In the natural, Great Britain should not have won the war. Germany should have come in, bulldozed that country down and taken over. Not only that, London should have been flattened, but it wasn't because there was a group of people that were doing battle in the spirit. In fact, they can account for the Battle of Dunkirk, the Battle of Great Britain, a few significant battles. They can coordinate, they can see where he was praying and when it was happening and they can see the correlation between the victory. Even Winston Churchill was amazed and couldn't believe that Great Britain was won with so, so little, he said, so little. It was only God that was able to come through for them because they did not use human weapons, but they use the weapon of the spirit. Second Corinthians 4 says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. You can fight in the spirit and change history. You can, you can fight in the spirit and change this country, change this city, Change your family. Change your marriage. Change your children. Here's something really interesting about all of this. The Roman soldiers. You know, they didn't have um, uniforms that had to be uh, brand new when they joined the army. They could use uniforms that were used. So a lot of the families would pass down their armor to the next generation. And they would use that armor to fight. There were people that didn't have family members in the army and so they would pay. They would look for retired soldiers and pay them for their armor. Here's the thing about the dress code. It's not just about you. It's about your next generation. What armor are you going to give them? What armor are you gonna pass down to them? Will our children have to go and buy it from somewhere else? Find it from somewhere else? Or will they get the inheritance of a big shield, of a sword, of a helmet? Will they get the shoes? Will they inherit what you have? It is your responsibility to teach your children about this. I look at my two sons. Yesterday, we talked about this. I said, boys, you gotta get a bigger shield. You are going to raise the dead. You are going to heal the sick. You are going to do only, you're going to double what your father and I have done. Double, triple it. The next generation need our armor. They need to see you putting on your armor daily. They need to learn how to fight now, not when they leave home, but now. Because it's not just about us. It's about the next generation. Would you stand in this place? We need the dress code for war. We need this dress code daily for the daily wars that we face.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus, we want you to know that He loves you very much. So much that He died on the cross for all of your sins that stood between you and God. If you would like to make a decision to follow Jesus today, all you need to do is to repeat this prayer. Dear God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I admit that I'm not right with you and I want to be right with you. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for saving me and making me your child. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, or if God has done anything in your life because of this podcast, we would love to know. Email us at testimony at kingdomcity.com.